Thanks, Pastor Ryan. I can truly tell you, I've waited all year for this. <laughs> Last year was so disappointing, and <clears throat> I woke up this morning and I said, I cannot wait to get to church today. I cannot wait to be with God's people on Easter. It is something that we probably have taken for granted. I certainly have, and um, I am so thankful that, that you're here today. Well, everybody else's phone will probably go off in a second here. We finished up a series about taking back your life last week, and it really leads us into this Easter season. Uh, and I think that often we look at things, and it's just so kind of perfunctory that we believe that things were easy. That hey, Jesus said that he would rise on the third day, and everybody was at home, and they were excited, waited for the third day. That's just not the truth. That they were struggling with their faith. They, they, they were having this... They knew what they'd been told, but they didn't know how it all made sense. They, they were just struggling, and, and I think that's something that all of us need to grab hold of, that this was something very important to them, but it was something that God taught, allowed them to come to faith in their own way. You'll see this in the story today. And so wherever you are in your faith journey this morning, sometimes you might have a few doubts. I'd say that you're not alone. There's a long history of the church with people who had doubts and had to work out their faith. In fact, you know the scripture says, work out your faith with fear and trembling. But I'm excited to read to you this passage of scripture this morning. It's John chapter 20, beginning in the first verse this morning, that we'll read a lot of, uh, of other things that are a part of this. But let's begin there. John chapter 20, beginning in the first verse. Why don't you stand with me one time more as we read together the words of scripture here. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. And so they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, followed him, and went to the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw, and he believed. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. You, you can be seated. I, I think one of the, the biggest things that you've got to get on this Easter Sunday morning, the things that are occurring, is that nobody saw it. Nobody was sitting anxiously waiting for the, for the Messiah to rise. He had spoken about it. He had preached about it. But it, it is nowhere in Scripture do we find that they are eagerly awaiting. We find that they are hiding. We find that they are surprised by what happens here. No one expected, or at least I would say they didn't fully comprehend 
they'd heard the words, but they didn't really understand exactly what would happen, because they should have, because if you look at Scripture, and you look back in Mark chapter 8, Jesus was telling his disciples before he would go to the cross, he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes, be killed and rise, um, rise after three days. So when it happened, I don't get it. Why don't they understand it? He told them plainly, this is what has to happen. And three days later, he's going to rise. He knows it. But somehow, in the midst of this, what they know in their mind, they can't comprehend in their heart. I wonder if that sounds like anybody in the world today. We kind of get the story of God. But, you know, it's just not resonating in my heart deep enough. And I just don't understand. I wonder if we might fit into the story pretty well here. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, they're, they're... there are the principles involved in this death. There's the burial of Jesus. And they did have expectations because they were. And so it's not completely as I'm talking about it black and white. But clearly there is this void, this gap of, of where the faith should be and where it actually is. And crossing that chasm is difficult for them. So I want to look at it really at, at least three people this morning. Three people in the scriptures that kind of tell us how they came to faith and how they fully understood the truth of the gospel. And each one is different. And I think all of us had to realize that each one of us is different and how we come to recognize and reconcile ourselves with Christ. The first is Mary Magdalene, and which is the, the, the gist of what I read most of here. And she's, you know, if you don't know anything about her, so she was from Magdala, and she was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Mark 16.9 tells us that when she encountered, when Jesus encountered Mary, that she had seven demons inhabiting her body, and Jesus drove them out and followed him, from, and she followed him from then on, the rest of her life. Jesus was all that Mary had. There wasn't anything else in her life. It was just Jesus. And she was one of the very few who would stand by the cross right in front of Jesus to the very last breath. Many would run away and hide and they were scared for what might happen to them. Mary was not one of those. Mary was beside him. She dedicated her life to him all the days of her life. And, and, and here it is, listening to the words of Christ, and all of a sudden her psyche simply cannot accept the reality of what she has witnessed. She can't get it. She doesn't understand. Jesus is taken down. He's prepared for burial. And I believe that Mary, as close as she was, probably followed Joseph and Nicodemus, who, who prepared the burial place. I believe that she was with them when they laid their body, and they would put spices in there, to, as it would have been the tradition. And after the Sabbath was over, while it was still dark on Sunday morning, Mary, she and Mary, uh, the mother of James and Joseph, they, they came to the tomb. And they were going to finish the anointing that they could not finish before because it was such a rusted thing. So they came down there for a purpose, to, to finish the burial process, to complete it. Matthew tells us, which we didn't read, that when and she arrives, there's a great earthquake that happens. The whole earth shakes or that it seems like that. And somehow she gets down there and the tomb is open. And we can all celebrate today because we know what, the, what that means. But Mary doesn't. She doesn't know what the tomb is. So she is shocked and scared and crying. Somebody's been in the tomb and messed with Jesus. 
She doesn't even look in the tomb. She immediately turns around and she runs back to the disciples, Peter and John. She says, i, I got to get back with you guys and, and tell you what's happening. I don't even know what's happening. I just left. I saw the tomb was open. And so she runs back to Peter and John. And I wanna, they're the second group of people I want to talk to talk about this morning. And she, then they all go back to the tomb. And after they went inside, I'll talk about John and, and Peter in a minute. But after they go inside... She manages enough courage to look in. It would have been dark. Except that God sent some angels, it says, to brighten the place. To show clearly that Jesus was not there. And she's crying. And so the angels ask her something. And they say, why? And here's where you can see her expectation. This is what she expected to come to see. She tells them that somebody has stolen the body of Jesus. And she doesn't know where they put him. Dead or alive, she cannot part with Jesus. She is in a state of horrendous mourning and grief. And the other gospels tell us that the angels instructed Mary that Jesus had risen from the dead. But here, John records it differently. John records that it is the voice of Jesus. Woman. Why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? It's an important question. Because there's no need for mourning. I've told you. I'm here. Why are you crying? She was looking for the wrong Jesus. The Jesus she was looking for was a dead, helpless body. That people had put somewhere that was, that was no longer li- had it li- any life in it. But in reality, of course, Jesus was alive and he was better than ever. And more than that, was now a source of great rejoicing that all of humanity could be a part of. Because he had paid the penalty for all sins, including Mary's sins. And everyone else who would ever live could be free forever. I'm going to talk about how she comes to faith in a minute, but I also want us to recognize this. So many of us have a preconceived idea of what Jesus, who God is and who Jesus is that we just can't even see God in Jesus because he only, if he doesn't come and, and do the things that I want him to do, then I don't even recognize him. Mary was as close as anyone could have ever possibly been to Jesus, and she wasn't looking for Jesus. She was looking for her preconceived idea of what Jesus was. May it shake us. Because Jesus and God can be seen in a lot of ways and a lot of things, including in your own lives. You may be the hands and feet that people see where Jesus can be seen in your life. She thinks that Jesus is the gardener. I I guess he wasn't dressed in white enough clothes. I don't know. He looks different. The bloodstains are gone, but not the scars though they were not visible to Mary at this point. It was the sight of Jesus that broke through her expectations. It wasn't the sight of Jesus that broke through. It was the voice of Jesus that said, Mary, and she knew in an instant. 
the rhema word of God that we've talked about several weeks ago where the word is alive and it's not just something that you're reading one time but all of a sudden you read it and it is speaking so mightily clear that message is for me and I get it specifically I've read it a hundred times but this time God is speaking and she heard it Mary and she knew so there's Peter and John So at the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus, Peter is nowhere to be found. If you know your historical uh, text, you know that Peter denied that he even knew Christ three times. Uh, He was also the most bold who would would fight to his death for Jesus. You know, he tried to uh, kill the Roman soldiers who came to capture him in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet, somehow, he is nowhere to be found. He is hiding. He is scared. was cowering in fear probably some shame probably some guilt John another disciple who had done really well he had stayed with Mary the mother he had stayed with Christ all the way to the end and Mary Magdalene she goes and she finds Peter and John Two of the closest disciples that Jesus had. After the stone is rolled away, she doesn't know what's going on. Remember, I already told you what happened, but she doesn't done, hasn't done that yet. She just runs to Peter and John. And so she reports, hey, they've taken his body, and I don't know where it is. It's been stolen. She has no indication, even at that point, that there's a resurrection. She's already gone there and come back, and she doesn't know. Luke's gospel records the reaction that it was idle tales that they didn't believe the woman. They didn't believe Mary. We don't know exactly why. We don't know why they didn't believe, but nonetheless, they bolt out the door. Well, let's find out. And we know that, that, that Peter runs, and then John run, runs on ahead of him, and then, so they're running down there, and even though they don't believe him, they're running down. But believe her, they're running down there. They bolt. Perhaps they're worried that people might see them. Because all the followers of Jesus are probably going to be rounded up and and probably punished in some sense. So maybe they're running because it's still dark and it's turning light and they don't want to see him. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. Perhaps they were worried that, that the same fate that happened to Jesus could happen to them. Maybe they felt a sense of responsibility to look after this body that others had done and they were so close but they hadn't done their part. It's possible they felt guilt possible felt that they didn't have the courage to ask Pilate for the body let us bury him but nonetheless they arrive they arrive at the tomb and John is hustled up and he, I guess he was younger I don't know he must have been in better shape or he just wanted to be there but he got he gets there first and John stays out at the entrance and he allows Peter to go in first and what he sees is so crucial the worry was that there were grave robbers, somebody to come to take him. Or there were religious leaders who had made off with a body. But the way the grave clothes were placed, neatly folded, would never have been done by a grave robber. The clothes were not in a messy disarray, but they were neat as if someone had literally just passed through them. Up until this point, a resurrected Lord 
is not on the plate of possibilities. Peter and, and John are in there. They see the clothes are gone, but they do not know anything about it yet. Up to this point, they, they don't get it. What we find out about Mary is later. But John writes that when he saw the grave clothes, he saw and he believed. So it now dawns on John that Jesus has not been stolen, but he's been risen. It was incomplete belief. John writes that they had put all the pieces together of the biblical prophecies concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and they would come together later. But if you know anything about historical records, when a carpenter had finished a masterpiece, he would neatly fold the, clo- the, the clothes in such a way as it would wipe off all the sweat, wipe off all the dust, and he would place it upon the furniture. It is finished. It is complete. Anyone knew who a carpenter would say, that, that is finished. Peter looked in at John and saw the stuff folded up and said, it is finished. It is complete. They didn't have to see Jesus. They knew the message through signs and wonders, if you will. They said, my faith is increased. I see what has happened. It is not a mistake. It is real. Totally different than Mary. They know the resurrection is real. They've not heard his voice. They've not seen him. But he left the message for them particularly. It is done. It is finished. Well, it's not the only story here. There is another person who I most closely aligned to. There is another disciple called Thomas. I won't go greatly into detail, but for whatever reason, he is not with Peter and John when the Mary comes. And then, a little bit later, Jesus shows up to the disciples, but Thomas is not there. And so all the disciples are saying, hey, we've seen Jesus. He's resurrected. He's alive. And Thomas says, "Uh uh-uh. No, not unless I can see Jesus, I can see the nail marks, I can see the, the, the tear in his side. Not unless I see that will I be able to believe. It's amazing that Jesus shows up at the end of this chapter. And there is Thomas. And he kind of holds his hands out and he says, Thomas, here's the side, here's the where I've been torn aside. How about you? When you have uh, an ache or a pain or a surgery, do you go show everybody? Come here and touch it. Come here and touch where I have been bruised and beaten, where blood and water poured out. Jesus would invite him into belief with him in his brokenness that he might see. I won't get too far in that because I think next week Pastor Ryan's going to get a little into that. But it's pretty intense that Jesus would invite you in to faith through his weakness and even yours. Many had preconceived ideas of what Jesus would be like, and it was very hard to convince. It took Jesus approaching her, Mary, 
personally touching her life with this word of God, this rhema. She needed the word of God to believe. And what preconceived notions do you have about Jesus? If they come from what you read about him in culture, you're probably a little bit mistaken. Let him speak to you personally. God is willing to listen. And this is something that I think you need to get hold of. God does speak to people. I've never heard the audible voice. Never. But I have heard him speak to me so plainly through the scriptures that I could not doubt it was him. And I would also make sure, just one caveat for all of us so we don't go crazy. God told me this, and, and, and I went and did it. Well, God will never tell you anything that doesn't line up in Scripture. I just want you to know that. Never. But I believe that God doesn't. So for those who struggle with faith and you need to hear from God, if you read the Scriptures, you will see they can come alive, they will come alive, and you can hear God speaking, saying you specifically. And you can enter into the faith. It took John personally, John and Peter personally see these remnants of these burial cloths to convince him. This neatly folded thing in the furniture. Jesus was a carpenter. He had finished it. There was no doubt in his mind that they, they, he had settled that, put it up there so everyone would see. And for us, sometimes we need to see it that way. It's impossible, really, in my mind, when you see a child born that you can't believe in God. I see it as a sign and wonder. I'm like, oh, my goodness. All of those intricacies, all the things that need to take place, everything that they can breathe and how the heart beats and how they can smell and how the ears and and how it all works together. When I see that sign, I can enter into faith because I'm like, there is no way there's not a God. And then there's Thomas. Thomas says, you can talk all you want about feelings, and you can talk all about this idea, but i got to know without a shadow of a doubt. And Jesus says, I was on the cross, broken and battered for you, and I invite you into into this presence with brokenness because often you know if you're in a club you're in something else you got to be good you have to prove how good you are you have to say that you can get enough money that you're smart enough that, that you can do all these things and then you're a part of the club but, but Jesus doesn't Jesus says that's not what it's about the brokenness where you have failed where the life that you thought you'd live has been broken whether it's been battered by alcohol or drug abuse whether it's been battered where you have uh, been unfaithful to your spouse. Maybe it's something where you have thought that you would raise your kids correctly and, and maybe, maybe you've even beaten them and, and, you, and you're so sorry for all those things. And Jesus says, yeah, all those things where you are not perfect, I invite you in. In your brokenness, you can be made whole. I'll help you. I'll wipe it clean. I'll make it right. There is a new day. And he says, I invite you in because I have taken the burden and the pain that you should suffer for doing wrong. And you could come right here and be a part of that. As we receive communion this morning, recognize there were two things that come out of, of his blood, out of his side. It was the blood, it was also his flesh and the water, which we're going to celebrate in baptism. This morning, he invites you into faith. Whether you need a word from God that's directly to you, 
whether you need a sign or a wonder that shows it to you, or whether you need to recognize your brokenness and how he enters and says, you don't have to pay the price because I'll pay it for you. He invites us all in. If you didn't receive an element this morning, I know some of you haven't. If you could just raise your hand, and these guys will get these elements to you if you haven't received them already. And I need one. Raise your hand high so they can see. No longer do you have to fear death because Jesus came. He's taken the punishment for you. You'll notice that this could be strange to a little of you. It's actually in pieces. There's actually two tops to it. The first one, if you open this first cellophane top, you'll notice that there is the bread. And when you think about Jesus' broken body, and you think about Thomas in particular, he said, this, bo- this is my body that is broken for you. As often as you take it, eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. Just as the blood poured out from his side, he took the cup with his disciples just before he died and said, this is my blood that shall be shed for you. Take and drink. May it preserve you blameless into life everlasting. We got a lot to do today, guys. The beautifulness of what we just did was an invitation to join in into the family of God and to faith. Today we also celebrate that, that we're all so different. But the thing that unites us together is Christ. And we want to recognize some things this morning. We, you know, COVID has really messed us up. We've had some people join the church Last year, we had people join the church this year, so I want to invite, uh, don't go away, Burns. I want you, if you'll come up front, you're not quite ready. Yep, Burns, yes, I want want you guys, yeah, as as members, I want to recognize that, yeah, yeah. Joe, sorry. Peg, if you'll come, and the the walkers, uh, can somebody help me get the walkers? I see some walkers here, but... Oh, tell her I'm sorry. I told her I would send her a cue as to when the children could come in. (laughs) Here's the cue. And the Andersons, if you'll come over here. Alyssa's going to be mad at me. She's in there working with the children in there. So we'll give just a moment here for her to come in. Sorry, Alyssa, I apologize. All my fault in the midst of going on, I forgot. Yeah. Oh.
Well, to Emily and Joe, who have, uh, Emily's a long time Nazarene, if you haven't known her, um, and, and Joe's your first generation Nazarene, aren't you? Yeah, they're joining us, and they're jumping right in. Both accountants, I guess that's what you call yourself, wouldn't you? Yeah, uh, so it's a pleasure, and they've been, they've been uh, involved in so many of the things, and Joe's been helping us around, and, and Peg, who just jumped right in here, and um, we haven't seen a lot for COVID, but we haven't seen a lot of people for COVID. But nonetheless, she's jumped right in and feels a part of our family. We feel like she's part of our family. And the Walkers, what can we say about the Walkers, who really is about a year ago that we made contact with each other. And uh, we were desperate need for some children's workers. And, and, and long story short is Alyssa has a calling on her life to work with children. And so we worked with the licensing process. And, uh, and, and she has a great family. And it's not just Alyssa, though. We also have a, a big thing that's coming up, too, with John in terms of uh, Celebrate Recovery. He is passionate about, and so he's going to help us get that started here. And so what a, what a great, hardworking family that we have here. And we have some, would you, what are you, are you third, Anderson, the third generation Nazarene? Are you, are you what, where are you? Third? Third generation. Michael, you're first, right? First generation. And Michael's going to be baptized today. Uh, but they come, you know, they're Barbara Causey's uh, daughter and son-in-law, and uh, they've become a big part of us here, too. But we always like to welcome you, and we're not going to go ahead and shake hands like we normally would, but I do want to kind of read something with you um, in, in response. Uh, the privileges and blessings that we have at Community Together in the Church of Jesus Christ are sacred and precious. There is, uh, there is in it such hallowed fellowship, care, and counsel as cannot otherwise be known apart from the family of God. There is godly care of pastors with teachings of the word and inspiration of corporate worship. And there is cooperation and service accomplishing that which cannot be otherwise done. Today we affirm the doctrines. If you remember, we said the Apostles' Creed earlier today that we believe these things. And today, if you uh, believe those things, and I know that two of you have already done it, but if you believe those things again, say, we do. Well, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord? And do you believe that he saves you now? Well, I welcome you into the Church of the Nazarene and the fellowship of this local congregation with its benefits and responsibilities. May the great head of the church bless and keep you, enable you to be faithful in all good works, that your life and witness may be effective in care for the poor and oppressed and leading others to Christ. We welcome you. Welcome them with your... We love you all. We're so thankful for you. And Joe and Michael, you can walk through that door if you want to. That way to make it easy. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> we have struggled with this order of service because of a t-